Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive, and we're recording this episode of the podcast in December as we're just beginning to think about Christmas and we're going to take an opportunity to think about what we've seen in the market in 2022 and look forward to 2023 with our guest, the REC's Deputy Chief Executive, Kate Shoesmith, in a second. In terms of activity around the REAC. I think at the moment, lots of us are thinking about where the market is going into the new year. Do check out the latest edition of Report on Jobs, which came out on the 8th of December. That gives a really clear steer that while we're seeing a market that is slowed a little bit from the hot performance of the middle of the year, we're not seeing a major retrenchment away from the market by clients. And in fact, vacancies, pay rates still growing. So in many ways, they're probably a more positive narrative about the jobs market than we're seeing in the press. You'll see more from us on that on the 21st of December when the latest edition of Jobs Outlook, that's our survey of clients, comes out and that will show us client sentiment going into the new year. Wrapped up in there as well, there's the official statistics from the ONS on the 13th of December. So lots of things to think about there in terms of where the market is as we go into the new year. At the REC, where we had a fantastic awards evening at the end of November, it was great to see 550 REC members getting together. Still feels special to be back together in a room to celebrate the successes of the industry this year and so much to talk about in terms of the difference we make as an industry to clients and to candidates in terms of opening up careers. Our 2022 edition of the Recruitment Industry Status Report came out at the end of November, demonstrating that once again, the industry has made a substantial contribution to the United Kingdom's gross value added. In fact, it's got bigger as a share of the economy by comparison to last year. And not only has it bounced back in 2021-22 into following the pandemic, it's actually bounced back further beyond that. So a contribution well ahead of 2019 levels, over 20% growth in 2021, a real sense that as an emerging professional service, this is an industry that's getting more and more important. And as I said in my speech at the awards, a real opportunity for those of us in the industry who have the right service mix to step in and assist clients and help people build careers in what is likely to be a tight labour market for many months and years to come. And that's really where I'd like to start our discussion today. So delighted to welcome the RSC's Chief, Deputy Chief Executive, Kate Shoesmith, to the podcast. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Neil. It's great to be here. And what I thought we'd do in this final edition for the year is really have a look at what we've seen in 2022 and dig into what that might mean for what happens next in our industry. And I think it's fair to say that for much of 2022, we saw really robust demand, both temp and perm, particularly because it took longer to pick up after the pandemic, which has slowed gently in the autumn without that being a real, really quick drop. Still lots of client demand out there. Is that what you're seeing, Kate? It's most definitely what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. So when I'm talking to REC members, as I know you do as well, for the most part, 
we knew that we'd get really great results for from our recruitment industry status report that you mentioned because many recruiters said to us that they had their best ever year in 2021 despite the really slow start so if you remember if we take ourselves all the way back we were in lockdown at the start of 2021 and it took until around march for that to start to things to loosen up a bit and the pent up demand that was for staff that came almost immediately as we came out of those lockdowns meant that recruiters were off the charts busy because they had that coupled with a low, low candidate availability driven by lots of things. And that story has continued, in in my experience, across 2022, a sense that labour and skill shortages, which to be quite honest, it's something that I've talked about for my entire career. We've always said that there are labour and skill shortages, but we've never seen anything quite like this. And the central role that recruiters have played in this have meant that we've really positioned ourselves in terms of having something very useful to say on it all. I think that's right. And, you know, if you look back at the REC's work this year and overcoming shortages, which we published in the summer, is well worth a read. It's on the REC website. It's interesting that the feedback we were getting from members was much more focused to helping clients think about this situation and think about how they do things differently. One of the trends I know I've said to you in the past that we've identified this year is members looking beyond the value of the contract in totality to turnover and thinking much more about if I think about the margin I'm making on this contract, am I creating enough value for my business here? So what and what? So one of the big changes that I've seen this year is lots of firms looking at their client base and going, actually, there's some firms here I really want to work with because they're thinking strategically. They're thinking about how they're changing their production. They're thinking about how they integrate their labour supply chain into that. And these guys over here who are reacting to having to raise wages and struggling to hire by trying to half the margin they play as, actually, we're going to have the confidence to walk away from that. And that feels to me like a big moment of change. I agree. I have seen and heard this over and over again, actually. And the sense that if you're not listening in that real consultative role to the signals that you're receiving from across the market, from individuals, then you will not be winning in this game at all. So candidates are choosing where to work thinking through really strategically in quite a different way what it is that they want to be doing now whether that's on contracts or whether and flexible working programs or whether that is in a permanent job move and it does feed through so we've heard from our members that said actually we're we're now in talking to clients where we're there talking to them about their overall strategic approach to their people. And it was the big message in our overcoming shortages report that if you are just thinking purely about the next recruitment, the next bum on seats, then you are missing a trick. And it does then feed through to the margins. So we've mentioned our recruitment industry status report. What happened there is we saw that margins increased on average by around 6% for perm placements and around 3% for temporary margins. So, So there was a direct impact because the clients saw the value of what was being added to their workforce strategy. And I think that whole sense of where the people are in all of this, Neil, that's your entire experience, hasn't it, in terms of our HR and our employment relations? And how do you feel that has changed over the last year? So I think there's a real issue in terms of how 
British business as a whole thinks about people. And I think we've been stuck in the procurement manager's office for a while because it's seen as an input. You know, HR is a cost centre. I think in an environment where workers have more choice, as you've already noted, and an environment where people are under pressure because of inflation, we're facing into a Christmas period that's significantly disrupted by strikes at the time we're having this conversation. I think there is an implicit challenge to the idea that workforce is a thing to be managed rather than a thing to be included in a wider set of business plan considerations. So I think increasingly workforce is becoming an issue in the line in rather than something that's dealt with by your back office support specialists, whether they're in procurement or HR. And the best companies are on the client side are understanding that because they're understanding exactly the point you just made, Kate, which is fulfillment, you know, the actual process of resourcing and placing and maintaining, that's increasingly the hygiene factor. You've got to be able to do that as a, a recruitment and staffing firm. And you're not at the table if you can't. But the differentiator is in how do you know what to fulfill and how to fulfill it and the balance of decisions that you're making across that triangle that I often talk about of what are we buying, what are we borrowing and what are we growing. And that is increasingly where companies are looking around for help. And if it's not us that fills that gap, it's probably consultancies who are more expensive and less expert. So I think there's a real opportunity for us us to grow into that space but it does it speaks to a really important dichotomy which is we've got to do the tech stuff we've got to get the tech right my view and we've got some work coming next year from the rec on this is very much uh we've got to get tech that starts to make life easier for clients and candidates rather than tech that just makes our consultants more productive but then you've got to build on that you've got to build on that skill set you have to have the tech that is the right tech, obviously. And I think the increasing driver in how you buy that tech and how you deploy it is going to be the ethical considerations that go alongside it. Now, the work that we did earlier this year with uh, the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation really started to think through how is AI being used in recruitment? And they will be continuing that work and it's sponsored by government. So it's, it's a really important area for us to be aware of that when you are thinking about technology, how is it allowing you to address features like unconscious bias? How is it ensuring that your staff understand who, who they are working with? And I think your point, Neil, about working with clients, it leads to a, another one of our campaign areas um, where, where we've been really active and, and speaking about this for a very long time. Yes, there's great, great examples out there, particularly, I'd say, in the private sector, where that people strategy and that combination of talents of working with your in-house teams plus working with the recruitment business supplier has led to, to real developments in that recruitment program. And therefore, we can see it having impact on retention where it's not quite as well developed. And we know this is in the public sector. 
And that's not universal. But let's, you know, we, we spent a lot of this year in conversations with civil servants in the department for health and social care, talking to DfE, talking to Crown Commercial Services and talking to some of the framework operators. And there is still this almost blanket sense that agency spend is something that should be cut down. You just have to look at what the approach is in Northern Ireland to this. And to be quite honest, it's so short-sighted. And so for us, it's been about how do we really emphasise the value added that comes from this? Because if you're not working with our members and thinking through the compliance process that they're going through and how outsourcing works in practice, you will be outsourcing to a different type of supplier. And it could be the management consultancies, as you mentioned, Neil, or it it could be a different type of framework. And sometimes just redressing that balance of why there are actors in the system has become all important. And I, I feel like we've made some some good ground on this we've we've got some clear support within the house of commons now we even got to the point where the minister in the department for health actually said the reason that agency spend is where it's it's at is that we need that because look at everything that's happening within the nhs right now and it's not going to go away it's a it's a feature of our economy now that's very reassuring to hear but at the same time we know that government budgets are going to be constrained over the coming months so for us a big big part of our work has got to be about how we fight that good fight how we explain the value of agency work and position it as that all-encompassing service that is part and parcel of the recruitment journey. It's not something just to buy in at the last minute. And I think that's been our central message this year, particularly as we've used the findings from overcoming shortages. And to me, continue to be a feature of our economy, but also of the political landscape as we move into 2023. And Neil, I'm really interested in your views on that, of what you think are some of the, the key things we should be looking out for. So I think that thing about spending pennies to save pounds in areas like the health service, where we know that agency spend is vital and could be so much more efficient if they just reformed the approach that the approaches they take, because it can never be, you know, to have trusts saying to providers, find a budget line that we can put this through because we just need people and we need them now. You need a more organised system than that to make sure you're delivering high quality and and value for taxpayers. But if you put the brakes on the system that you designed to the point where it's unsustainable, which is where I would argue the health frameworks are now, you're just driving costs back up again. So there's a whole piece there about about understanding what this market means for for the public sector. But I think it speaks to a wider it's a wider political challenge that we've got. So at the risk of dragging up ancient history, we have had three prime ministers this year and four sets of ministers. And in some ways, I'd be interested in your take on this, Kate, I probably feel slightly more reassured at the end of the year because the ministers that we've got are a bit more experienced and across their brief and pragmatic than maybe some iterations of the government during the year. You noted the message that we had around the value of agency work in health in the House. We had a really great message from Guy Opperman around our awards, which focused on the value of temporary work to the economy. And it's you've got to get ministers saying things like that. And that that's really important because 
once people understand they're dealing with the engine of the economy, and we know that Rishi Sunak's asked DWP, you were at a meeting just recently, to, to try and sort out what's happening with economic inactivity, which is a big driver of, uh, of labour shortages right now. We know that in all of that, there's a greater sense of this is critical to the economy than maybe we saw earlier in the year, where, of course, we were fighting rearguard actions on things like Regulation 7 changes on agency workers and strikes, which I still think is not settled because of the legal case and because of where the polls are with Labour, where stuff was being pushed through for primarily political reasons. I think actually my analysis of the government we've got now is that they are several notches more serious and more pragmatic. And maybe that is the fact that they know they're in a two-year election campaign, there are 20 points behind in the polls, and they've got to do things that keep the economy on track. And that that's maybe an opportunity for business organisations generally, and the REC in particular next year, to start making really well-based arguments for growth based on a nuanced and well-evidenced view of the value of things like flexible and temporary labour? What I've particularly seen and um, over over the last few months is, is a real sense that government are in a place where they're keen to listen and find solutions. Now, as, as you said, Neil, they're partly up against a deadline for that. But one of the things that's been really pleasing to see, it was one of the points we made in our overcoming shortages report earlier this year. And the reason that that report worked is we we provided the the basis for what we were saying. We were saying, look, it's no it's no good that we're just complaining about labour and skill shortages. These have been a feature of our labour market. They are different, but they're exacerbated by the pandemic and they're, they're going to get worse. And we could provide the economic argument for what that was costing us. So between 30 to 39 billion was our prediction by 2024, if nothing was done to address the continued increase in labour demand that was out there. So we had that basis. And then we said, what you need to be really doing, government, is you need to be need to be working with businesses because we've got an awful lot of ideas and thoughts around this. I mean, we bang the drum for the apprenticeship levy at every single available opportunity because it just feels like a, a pot of money that could be deployed so much more effectively if we were to just release the shackles and allow it to be spent on something other than 12-month apprenticeship programmes. But we said that you could be working far more collaboratively across department. My experience of working with civil servants is they're all very well-meaning and they really want to do important good work and, and bring solutions to the past. But they are stymied by the divisions between the different departments. And the meeting you mentioned with Guy Opperman and actually one of the ones we had with um, the previous Minister for Employment, what was really good to see there is they'd listened to us and they had officials from the Department for Education, from HM Treasury, from Bayes, as well as from DWP. And they acknowledged the point that one of the missing contributors around that table was somebody who was representing the Department for Health, NHS, because how are we going to address economic inactivity if we're not sure how many of those people actually have either short or long term health conditions and might be on an NHS waiting list and have opted out of the labour market? So 
that will be the piece that regardless of any of the political machinations that happen over the coming year, and there's likely to be some, and we can expect Labour to grow in confidence, I would say over 2023, as they start to formulate their manifesto proposals in more detail, is how the civil servants are engaging with each other but and with us to come up with some of those ideas and thoughts that lead us into a I suppose a a sense of how do they see us through the what they've declared a recession how do they make sure it is a short-term recession that's going to be the key driver would you agree with that Neil yeah look the macro outlook I think it's very easy to be too gloomy at the moment the picture we're seeing is kind of a flattish year with a a recession that's long and shallow. There are lots of uncertainty either side of that, but in that environment with the labour shortages we have, and you know, go back to what the RISA data predicts for 2023, I do think that we're looking at another year where the industry has a big contribution to make and demand remains relatively high, although maybe a little weaker than through 22. Everything in the pol- in politics will become about growth because that that is the only way that you can keep taxes low and fund public services. I think the government appreciates it's got a challenge in a few areas, one of which is the labour market constraining growth ability. And then within that, you've mentioned the need to think across government for, about what drives growth. And we talked of course, in the past about the impact of transport on people's commutes and uh, you just mentioned health needing to be at the table. The other one I'd throw on the table is the Home Office, which is a department that doesn't think it has any role on growth at all. And that needs to change, not just in terms of immigration, but in terms of things like an IDVT system that that works. So we'll be working on that. But for me, I think the really important macroeconomic message going into next year is it is uncertain, but actually the narrative that we're hearing out in the country from REC members' clients and from REC members is actually a notch more positive than what we're seeing driven by driven by the bank. So I think for me, a lot of this is about, and there's a great guide on the REC website, Future Proofing Your Recruitment Business, with some fantastic ideas on this. A lot of what we're seeing is actually a sort of flatter year in the economy rather than a, a massively bad year where the companies who get it right have the potential to grow. And where some of the challenges that we've seen this year around shortages is just not going to dissipate. The market, even if there is a, a slightly deeper recession, the market is not going to loosen so much over the next few months that the issues around shortages go away and all that stuff we we're talking about, the role, changing role of recruiters for clients. So I suppose I'm, I wouldn't say I'm massively kind of gung-ho and optimistic for 2023, but I'm certainly more glass half full than glass half empty, if that makes sense, Kate. I think that's the only way we can be and we should be. For for me, I I am struck by what we've been through over the last few years. So some people have referred to the different changes in the economy and in the political landscape and everything that's going on in society, meaning that we're now in perma-crisis mode. So we move from one crisis to another crisis and everything can, if we allow it, knock us off course. But actually, the message over the last couple of years, and I think the strong message for 2023 is it will be what we make of it. So the market demand for recruitment services is very clear. If you just look at the line on report on jobs, which shows where we are in terms of permanent placements and temporary billings, 
you know, there's still that demand there. Uh, and actually the temporary billings one, you might expect this is in the lead up to Christmas, ticked up. So in comparison with the months before. So I think that for the most part, the good quality compliant recruitment businesses are going to be all important next year because everybody will want the reassurance of who they are working with because they if they're going to be making big decisions about their staffing profiles they'll want to be knowing that they're working with the right type of suppliers so i think i think that feels to me like the key piece that we'll be having to make the case for not just in our conversations with different stakeholders and and particularly on the political agenda because you can guarantee that the different political parties will want, be wanting to find some quick wins that they can indicate that they are going to be clamping down on rogue activity or poor practice that they are championing their constituents because at the end of the day it all comes back to who's voting for them individually they'll want to be showing that they're doing something on that and so for the good quality recruiters that's where they'll rise to the top. Neil I was thinking in terms of what would you say would be your one thing that you would really like to see the recruitment industry um a champion next year or or seek to achieve? Is there something that you think should be a high on that list? That's a really good question. And if it's one topic, it's probably equity, diversity and inclusion, where you know we have a powerful platform to make real change and on an issue where clients are incredibly focused, even in tough times. I think more broadly, if we look across the industry, is that point about professional standards, professional quality, professional advice. And you've mentioned compliance there. Obviously, the RSC compliance assessment deadline is next June. Just a light reminder to uh, to people as we drive past it. But I think it's also about the industry we want to be and and sort of head held high behaving like that and de- deliver on ED, EDI, the kind of client management stuff we were discussing earlier, all of that is is relevant. And, 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 and some of that comes down to just understanding where you create value in your business, you know, what, what using metrics that give you a sense of, well, is this client making me a return and is it adding value to my brand? Because, you know, ultimately as recruiters, brand is what we have, both personal and corporate those things speak to also just having bring it back to our world being very careful about the standing of the industry so if we look at some of the recent issues with umbrella companies we do need to be clear about as recruiters about looking after our supply chains and making sure people are treated in the right way all of those things feel progressively more important at this moment where I think as an industry, we're under greater scrutiny than before because our role in the economy is much more important than, than before. That's where I'd put the um, put the finger. How about you, Kate? I'm in the same space. I think that given the number of conversations and meetings I go to where equity, diversity and inclusion becomes a key, key topic very early on in the debate. And if you're not thinking in those terms, both for your own staff, but also in terms of the services you provide, then I think you will be falling behind. I've been in a number of conversations where I've heard from different organisations about how they'll go through the tender process. So I know you said about recruitment has moved away from the procurement desk. 
risk. It has and it hasn't. That mm. tendering process is all important. And people are looking for ways of being able to be reassured that their suppliers have something credible that they are doing around EDNI. And if they're not, then there'll be docking points from those tenders. And to an extent, and this I think is largely driven by how we all feel personally, I think to an extent, the same will be true of what's happening around sustainability, um, climate change goals, and being carbon neutral. Mm. And being able to do more than almost be accused of greenwashing will become important. So how are you really living those values? And for me, I think that will be partially driven more by individuals, the candidates asking about how does that ma- how does an organization match up with their own personal ethics around this? And then that will start to to feed through into company and corporate behaviors. We've seen early signs of it, but I think there's far more to come on that. And I think I think we'll be I think we'll be hearing far, far more about how candidates are making decisions driven by some of those ethics and values. That is absolutely fascinating. And if I think overall about where we are as an economy you know this new acronym that's doing the rounds about moving on from the volatile uncertain ambiguous world that we've talked about for for a long time to this uh, barney brittle anxious non-linear and incomprehensible now in that environment what you need is you need good advisors who aren't who are acknowledging the uncertainties that are out there and who are setting a behavior framework for how they will work with you and that is all about compliance and all about compliance and standards and ethics and what are you doing in your supply chain i think those things get more important in this world uh, both in terms of you know the role we play for REC members in terms of the discussions we have with government and with the media but also with clients and you know a lot of you know a lot of our work next year will be about telling clients that the labor market has changed as well and that requires some real analysis on on the part of companies taking it back to where we started Kate thank you for joining us today I've really enjoyed that discussion it seems like we've got plenty to do next year It will definitely be kept busy, won't we? So thank you very much, Neil. And that was a completely unsubtle hint that, of course, everything we do at the REC is about looking after our members, whether they are corporates or individual professional members. And if you're a corporate member, please do check out the 2023 renewals website or indeed get in touch with your account manager to make sure that you're sorted out to stay engaged with the REC through 2023. We deeply value your support. And as I hope you've just heard, everything that we're doing is designed to make the maximum benefit that the industry can deliver for the UK possible. Thank you for listening today and uh, take this opportunity as this is the uh, last pod of 2022 to wish you a an enjoyable uh, Christmas and New Year period. If you've enjoyed this and you can't wait to the first episode of 2023, a couple of recent episodes that are worth a listen. We talked a little bit about digital transformation, but not very much in this episode. The last episode on digital transformation and the future of the labour market with Richard Skellett is a great listen on that. And uh, we also obliquely mentioned the great the great legal case of the year at Harper Trust, which is about holiday pay and temps. And if you want to dig into that, episode 20 with Paul Chamberlain of JMW is a fantastic listen with one of the 
leading lawyers in the in the field so do check those out if you would like a little more uh, a little uh, more recruitment based listening with your brandy and mince pies thank you very much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure to have you with us on the podcast during 2022 and i'll look forward to you joining us again in the new year thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this podcast join me for another episode soon And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.